Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. The book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible with you and you would like to follow along, there are white paperback Bibles under the chairs um, <clears throat> in front of you. And if you look to the left or the right, you should be able to find one. And 1 Corinthians 4 is on page 555. One of the most common questions that uh, kids get uh, get asked when they're growing up is what they want to be when they grow up. Probably all of you can remember being asked that question or at least thinking about the answer to that question. What do you want to be when you grow up? Some of you are probably still trying to figure that out, what you want to be when you grow up. Uh, I remember for me, I always, for a while, wanted to be an architect. Um, Then I passed into a phase where I wanted to be a musician. And then I passed into a phase where I didn't have any idea what I wanted to do when I grew up. And uh, that lasted for for quite a while, actually, in my life. You know, there's something a a little bit troubling about not knowing what you want to do or what you want to be because what we do in our lives and the roles we take, the occupations that we find ourselves in, go a long way in defining our identity as human beings. A lot of us find our sense of, of worth and significance based in what we do and the place that we have in life. And so that's why this is such an important question. What, what do you want to do? And when you don't know what you want to do or who you want to be, Sometimes that's called an identity crisis, that we don't know who we are. And this question of identity is getting to this very issue. Who am I, actually? And I think we could make the case that our culture, in particular, is going through something of an identity crisis. Not the identity of the culture as a whole, but people in our culture seem to be struggling to know who they are. We have, you know, men identifying as women. We have women identifying as men. We even have some white people identifying as black people. And even in some places, human beings identifying to some degree as animals. And so it seems today that people are longing for identity, longing to know who they are, but they don't really know where to find the answers. They don't know where to find this identity. And so, I would ask you this question this morning. Who are you? If I were to ask that, what would be the first answer that would come to mind? What would you say? I'm an American, I'm a husband, I'm a wife, I'm a parent, I'm a son, I'm a daughter, I'm a millennial, I'm a sports fan, I'm an intellectual, I'm a conservative, I'm a liberal, I'm a teacher, I'm an attorney, I'm a business owner. What would you say? Who are you? Well, we're going through a sermon series at New Life here called How to Make Sense of Life, and what we're doing is considering questions that people throughout all history and in all cultures and all times have found themselves asking at some point. 
Questions like, what is the meaning of life? Questions like, what do we do with the fact that everybody seems to suffer in this life? And today, the question that we're dealing with is how to make sense of identity. A question that all people in all different times have asked at one point or another. Who am I? as a human being. Now, there is a slight change in our sermon series schedule. Originally, we were going to uh, conclude this sermon series next Sunday, but uh, I'm going to be at a wedding next Sunday in Birmingham, Alabama, so I'll be away. Uh, But Andrew Brown, our youth director, will be here uh, bringing the word to us next Sunday, and then we'll conclude this series the Sunday after that uh, with the final topic, Making Sense of Death. How do we find hope in the face of death? So that'll be June 18th. But today, making sense of identity. And the passage we're going to be looking at is 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at the first five verses uh, of this, this passage. So let me give you just a little bit of context here. Um, <clears throat> 1 Corinthians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in a city called Corinth. Um, Paul planted a church in Corinth and uh, left Corinth after that and settled in a city called Ephesus. And there began to be this exchange of letters between Paul and the church in Corinth, kind of going back and forth. And um, the Christians in Corinth had apparently sent Paul a letter asking some questions and revealing some of the things that were going on in Corinth. And that's what the book of 1 Corinthians is about. It's Paul answering a lot of the questions that were being posed to him by people in this church. And one thing that we're going to find is that the people in Corinth were not always so happy with Paul, and they offered up some criticisms to Paul, and they challenged his, his ministry and his skills and his abilities, and here in chapter 4, um, we see Paul responding, at least in part, to that, and we get a lot of um, insight here into the nature of human identity in this passage. So if you'd please stand for the reading of God's Word, 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 through 5. This is how one should regard us, Paul writes, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Lord God, send your spirit to open our hearts and minds to behold wonderful things in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So really there are, there are three approaches that any of us can take uh, to finding our identity in this world. And so we're going to consider each of these, and Paul touches on these. And so the first one is this. One way to find your identity is to look outward. That is, you can find your identity by looking at the, um, 
opinions of people, your connections to people. Um, you know, it, in other cultures and in the past, it was very, very common for people to find their identity based on the, the nation or tribe or family that they belonged to. Um, I remember, you know, growing up and, and considering my father's ac- occupation, who, he was a lobbyist and, you know, did the suit and tie thing and went down to the office every day in downtown Indianapolis, and I just remember thinking, that is just not a life that I want to lead. It just wasn't for me, and I remember kind of rebelling against that. I, I did not want to take up the life that, that my father uh, had lived. And that kind of attitude is somewhat unusual in a lot of other places in the world now and certainly in the past. In the past, a person's identity was almost immediately established by who your parents were. If your dad was a blacksmith, you were going to be a blacksmith. And a person found his identity not in something he created for himself, but based on the tribe or group that he belonged to. So that's not so much an American thing, but... Uh, An American thing is, though, to find our identity to some degree in the opinions that others have of us. Many of us are are defined by what we know our parents think of us or our boss at work thinks of us or what our friends think of us. There are parents who are defined by what their children thinks of them. And in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, we get a peek into the fact that that was a, a similar kind of thing going on in Corinth. Because in Corinth, there was all these factions and divisions that were developing in the church based on who baptized whom. So you don't have to turn to chapter 1, but there's a passage there where people are saying, well, you know, Paul baptized me, and Cephas baptized me, and Apollos baptized me. And so here all these people are finding their identity based on who baptized them, looking outward to the people that they were outwardly connected to for their identity. But Paul here is presenting a very different perspective. And he's going to challenge this idea in the lives and thoughts of the Corinthians. Now, one thing we know about Paul, as I mentioned just a moment ago, is that he was being criticized by the Corinthians. Now, that's one way you can know if you are finding your identity in the opinions of others. It's if you are absolutely crushed and destroyed when people criticize you. If you can't handle criticism, it's probably because your identity is too wrapped up in what others think of you. And so here are the Corinthians bringing criticism to Paul. Um, 2 Corinthians 10.10 is where we find this. Um, Paul kind of quotes some people from Corinth who say that he has a weak bodily presence and his speaking is of no account. So apparently Paul wasn't quite as charismatic, didn't have quite the physical presence that they were looking for, and apparently, according to the Corinthians, Paul wasn't a very good public speaker. And so the people in the church are criticizing him for that, and in chapter 2, verse 3, you can see that Paul is mentioning his coming to Corinth with fear and trembling. And so this criticism apparently has him at least a little bit rattled because he's concerned about the opinions of the Corinthians. But what we find here in chapter 4 is that Paul is not going to let the opinions of the Corinthians define him. So look what he says here. He starts off in verse 1. He says, this is how one should regard us. When he says us there, he's referring to the apostles, um, the, the leaders of the church, the ones charged with 
uh, preserving and proclaiming the gospel. And so he's saying to the Corinthians, here's how you should look at us. We are servants of Christ, and we are stewards of the mysteries of God. That word for stewards actually is used in other contexts for someone who is a manager of a household, someone who a master hires to oversee his household, and the master goes away and leaves this uh, manager in charge of all of his possessions. And what Paul is saying here is we as apostles are stewards. We're like managers of the mysteries of God. The mysteries of God. That's just the revelation of God. What God has told through his Holy Spirit and in his word about the gospel. So what Paul is saying here is that this is how you Corinthians should be evaluating apostles the criteria that you should be using is how we manage the mysteries of God, how we manage God's revelation, and in particular, whether we are trustworthy in that task. You see that at the end of verse 2, stewards should be found trustworthy. And that would be the case, right? If you wanted to turn your home over to somebody for a week while you were away, that's probably the first thing you would want to know is whether they were trustworthy. And so Paul is saying here, this is what is most important for an apostle. Not whether he has this charismatic presence and not whether he's a really good speaker, but whether he's trustworthy with the revelation of God. I think there's a slight application there just in how congregations evaluate pastors. (laughs) You know, the primary responsibility of pastors is not to be charismatic, not to be a great speaker, And not to make a church grow, I mean, it'd be wonderful if all those things occur, but the most important criteria for the evaluation of apostles and pastors is whether they're responsible caretakers of the revelation of God. So what Paul is saying here is this is how the apostles should be regarded. But then in verse 3 now, he gets personal. So now, now he's, he's, you know, verses 1 and 2, he's speaking on behalf of the apostles. Then in verse 3, he brings it down personally, and, and he's thinking about this criticism that he's been getting. And he says this, verse 3, with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you. You know what he's basically saying? You guys don't like me, and I don't care. I really don't care. Because in Paul's mind, he is a responsible caretaker of the mysteries of God. And even though he's getting this criticism, he believes this criticism is not based on the criteria by which he should be evaluated, so he doesn't care. Now, Paul's not being, I don't think, arrogant and insensitive here. I mean, some of you remember Bobby Knight, the coach of uh, the IU Indiana University basketball team. I mean, there's a guy who just you know, never cared what anybody thought of him and still doesn't. And still says things that just are so offensive. And, you know, that's not the kind of person that Paul was. Um, This isn't a kind of an arrogant, insensitive, unconcerned for what people think of him. Because I've already shown you. He came in fear and trembling after getting this um, criticism. So apparently the criticism stung. Paul felt it. and, And it bothered him to some degree. 
And I don't think Paul is saying we should just be unconcerned about what anybody thinks of us, as if children can be unconcerned about what their parents think of them, or students can be unconcerned about what their teachers think of them. But what Paul is saying here is, other people's opinions are not going to define me. I'm not going to base my identity and what others say about me. That's not the way it's going to work in my life. I've got a higher identity. My identity is rooted in something different. And we'll see what that is here in a moment. But just as by way of application, let me just give you some kind of practical reasons why it's just not useful to find your identity in the approval of other people. I mean, this is a tendency we all have, particularly if you're a people pleaser. I count myself among them. I'm a people pleaser. And so it's very easy to have our moods kind of go up and down based on whether we think people are praising us or disappointed in us. But there are a few reasons, just thinking of this rationally, why this doesn't really work. One, people will approve of the wrong thing. You know, so if you're finding your identity and making your decisions based on who will approve of you, the problem with that is that very often people will approve of the wrong thing. And if you're seeking their approval, you can very easily be led to do the wrong thing in a desire to get their acceptance. Pontius Pilate is a perfect example of that, right? Pontius Pilate sees the demands of the people and they demand that Jesus Christ be sent to the cross, even though Pilate said, I don't find any guilt in this man. He knew it was the wrong thing to do, but because he wanted the approval of people who wanted the wrong thing, he submitted to their demands rather than doing the right thing. Another reason why it's not good to find our identity in people's approval, people will not approve the right thing. (laughs) It's very hard to find people who will encourage you to do the right thing, particularly when the right thing is a hard thing to do. So Peter is a good example of this. Remember after Peter had denied Jesus and he's talking to the servant girl and a couple other people and they're asking Peter if he knows who Jesus is and Peter says, I don't know this guy. I don't know who he is. He has three opportunities and every time he denies him, he won't do the right thing. He won't say, yes, I know Jesus. He won't say that because he wants the approval of people who are not encouraging him in that direction. Another reason why is that people will approve of different things. I mean, if you're always enslaved to the opinions of people and always allowing the opinions of people to dictate what you think is right and wrong, what happens when Joe wants you to do one thing and Bill wants you to do something different? Or what happens when one person wants you to do one thing and then you find a week or a month or a year later they've changed their mind and now they think you ought to do something different? Now you're completely enslaved to the desires of people whose desires and feelings about right and wrong are fickle and constantly changing. Do you see how it just doesn't make sense to find your identity by merely looking outward? We see a challenge to this coming from John chapter 12. Many even of the authorities believed in Jesus, but for fear of the Pharisees and what they thought of them, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And that's really what's at stake here. That's the question. Whose glory are you seeking? Are you living for the glory that comes from your friends and your peers, or are you living for a glory that can only come 
from God. So one way to find identity, looking outward. That wasn't Paul's approach. Paul didn't care about what the Corinthians thought. Second thing, though, second option, you can find your identity by looking inward. That's another option. And something that is practiced quite often, actually, today. We find people saying things like this, common phrases, be true to yourself. Find your own values. Look into your heart. You know, this is how you're supposed to know who you are and what you really want and what you're about. You look inward. You look into your heart, or you do as Steve Jobs said. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice. As if this inner voice coming out of your heart is this kind of authoritative source who can give you some kind of lasting identity. And again, in the transgender situation, it seems that's, that's what we have. People who are listening to something inside of them that's telling them something contrary to who they are by their created nature. But the voice inside gets primacy. And they're defined by looking inside. Now let me clarify that for some people, it is true that They've been, they've been hearing things coming from the outside all their life. They've been verbally abused and they've been told horrible things and they've been developing patterns, destructive patterns of the way they think of themselves. Those are people who do need to kind of drown out the voices that they've been hearing in a destructive way throughout their life. But Paul's response here is this, looking inward is not the way forward in establishing identity. Look what he does. Verse 3 of chapter 4, just picking up right where we left off. He says, with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. But then he says, in fact, I do not even judge myself. I don't even consider my own view of myself to be all that important, is what Paul is saying here. I don't care what others think about me, and I don't care what I think about me, is what Paul is saying. I, I'm not going to look inside to try to find my identity there. He goes on in verse 4, and he says, when I look inside, he says, I'm not aware of anything against myself. He, he's saying, I'm, I'm not aware of any sin that I've committed. I, I, I'm not... Um, knowledgeable that I've sinned against any person or that there's anything in my life that, that needs confession or repentance at this particular time. That's what he's saying. I'm not aware of that. But he goes on, but I'm not thereby acquitted, he says. That doesn't necessarily mean that I haven't done something wrong. In other words, what he's saying is I don't rely on my own estimation or assessment of myself. I don't trust my self's evaluation of myself. It's a little bit like having a student grade his own paper in a sense, isn't it? <laughs> what Paul is saying here is that he, he needs not an inner voice to tell him who he is. He needs a voice from the outside. He needs something else, someone else to speak into his life. He needs some kind of an authoritative voice to pronounce an authoritative message about who he is. And if we look in our 
day-to-day lives, we see this all the time, right? I mean, every single child longs to hear the approval of his parent. And every single athlete longs to hear the approval and the affirmation of his coach. And every single employee longs to hear the affirmation and blessing and praise and commendation of his or her boss. And so this is what Paul is pointing out here. Just merely looking inside is not going to be enough. It's not going to be sufficient. So Tim Keller says it like this. Only if we are approved and loved by someone whom we esteem can we achieve any self-esteem. We need someone to bless us because we can't bless ourselves. We need someone we respect to respect us. We need someone we admire to admire us. Merely looking inside for your internal voice is looking to a voice that really has no authority to pronounce anything lasting or enduring about who you are as an individual, as a human being. And so that brings us to our last point. You can look outward to establish your identity. You can look inward to establish your identity. Or you can look upward to establish your identity. Now here's something that's very interesting about the, the Christian faith is that Christianity throughout history has given unprecedented dignity to human beings. Throughout history, when Christianity came onto the scene, something radically changed about the way human beings look at themselves. And it was based primarily in the fact that human beings, according to the Christian faith, are created in the image of God. That there is something about us that is different than the animals. There's a dignity There's a certain glory and beauty and magnificence that is inherent in all human beings, whether they're young or old or pretty or ugly, whether they're healthy or sick, whether they're Christians or atheists. Because we are created in the image of God, according to Psalm 8, we are created with glory and honor. We're magnificent creatures according to Christian teaching. And when this teaching began to take hold in history, it had a profound effect on how we look at human beings and how we regard the dignity of human beings. There's a a professor of philosophy at the University of Paris. His name is Luke Ferry. And he's not a believer, not a Christian. And yet he wrote this about the effect of Christianity in human history. Christianity was to have an incalculable effect upon the history of ideas. In this Christian reevaluation of the human person, the philosophy of human rights to which we subscribe today would never have established itself. And we hear so much today, don't we, about human rights, about the inherent right that human beings have to be treated with respect and to not be discriminated against and to have equal opportunity. That's because of the influence of Christianity, because of the dignity that Christianity has given to the human being. Ferry goes on. Christianity was to introduce the notion that humanity was fundamentally equal in dignity. That is, everybody was equal in dignity. Man, woman, slave, lord, president, king, everybody equal in dignity being created in the image of God. And that was an unprecedented idea at the time and one to which our world owes its entire 
democratic inheritance. Human rights, democracy, these values that people uphold in all places in our world today, according to Luke Ferry, not a Christian, it's the Christian faith that brought that to our world. It, it's a habit of looking upward that brought that to our world. And that's what Paul finds here. And we see this in verse 5. This is what Paul does. He looks, he looks upward. Look what he says. At the end of verse 4, it's the Lord who judges me. I can't judge myself, but the Lord will. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. That is, don't make these judgments on each other before the Lord comes. That's what he means by the time. That is the second coming of Jesus. Because when Jesus comes again, he's going to bring to light the things now hidden in darkness. He'll, he's going to disclose the purposes of the heart. All these things that are invisible to human eyes, Jesus knows about. And all these things are going to be disclosed. And the whole tone, though, of what Paul is saying here is not one of fear of what's going to happen on that final day. Because he ends this, verse 5, by saying this, then each one will receive his commendation from God. That this day is coming when we're going to receive the praise from God that he has promised here in 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Commendation from God. That's the outside voice that we're all looking for. That's where we find our identity. In someone we admire, someone we love, someone who's created the universe full of majesty and glory, who will pronounce a word of approval and commendation to those who belong to him. That's where identity is found, friends. That's where you've got to find it. That's the only place where you can find an identity that is enduring, that is authoritative, that is not going to be withdrawn from you. The commendation from God. Now, you might say, well, how do I find that? How do I get that commendation? Paul here is talking about the last day when Jesus comes again. That's right. But there is a way that you can have that commendation right now. There is a way that you can know that God is pleased with you. There is a way that you can hear that commendation today. And here's how that can happen. It's through the gospel. And what the gospel tells us is something so different than every other philosophy and every other religion. The gospel tells us this, that you can get the verdict on your life before your performance. Where else are you going to find that? A verdict before your performance. That's what justification is all about. What justification teaches is this, Galatians 2. A person is not justified by works of the law, by his performance. That's not the way it happens, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith and not by our performance, our works of the law. Isn't that a remarkable thing? Where else do you get that? In what other walk of life can you hear a commendation from God or a commendation from anyone before you've earned it? But the gospel says this is the way God works. Place faith in Jesus. Turn from your efforts to perform in order to earn his approval. And you will receive the declaration of God that you're justified before his law. And then on that last day when Jesus comes again, you're going to hear God say it audibly to you. Commendation. 
well done, good and faithful servant. You're going to hear it from his mouth on that day. Until then, we believe it according to his word. And that's what Galatians 2 and other passages are teaching us. Look upward to find your identity. Friends, maybe you've been lately just struggling. Have you been crushed lately by some criticism that somebody has said? Are, are you demoralized because you feel like you're always second best, third best? Someone else is always getting the praise that you would like or that you feel like you deserve. You're, you're always feeling overlooked. You're always the bridesmaid, but never the bride. Always the best man, but never the groom. You're feeling ugly. You're feeling unintelligent. You're feeling incompetent. And your identity is wrapped up in all this, and you're, and you're thinking you're worthless. I have no value in this world. Paul says, look upward to the gospel. Because if you're a Christian and you've trusted Christ and the work that he's done, his performance for you, the payment that he has given on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, if that's your hope and your hope alone, friends, you can know this. You are a child of the king. You are a trophy of grace. You are God's treasured possession. And nothing will ever change that. That is a place to find identity. The gospel is a place to find identity. You know, sometimes when I get discouraged as a pastor or a preacher, I, I remember this quote. I don't know who said it, but it goes like this. Who, being a pastor, would stoop to be a king? I, I love that. And I find a lot of hope and encouragement. And let me just kind of revise that slightly for you. Friends, who would stoop to depend on the opinions of others, to even depend on your opinion of yourself when the commendation of God Almighty is yours in Christ? Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we thank you that you provide for us the hope of knowing that we are significant in this world, not because of anything we have done, but because, Lord God, you have created us in your image and crowned us with your glory and redeemed us by your grace in Jesus. Oh, Father, help us not to be destroyed and controlled by the opinions of others. Help us, Lord, not to depend on what we think of ourselves, the, the fragile, unauthoritative voice in our hearts. Help us, God, as we seek to rest in what you have said about us, not guilty and righteous by faith in Christ. We thank you and praise you for the gospel in Jesus' name.